0: Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back. Another day, another chapter not named after a specific character.
1: The Ugly Little Girl.
0: This is our last by George R R Martin. <laughs> this is our last Aria chapter in A Feast of Dragons. And we've already done all the Winds of Winter chapters. So, so maybe... technically, this is our last Aria discussion chapter specific discussion before whatever we end up doing next which is exciting
1: and i think that's going to be her first chapter in the winds of winter because obviously right exactly so so we're at the end of all that feels <laughs> weird we can't really talk about the house of black and white in much more mysterious terms anymore because all the information is available to us i found myself going down some other rabbit holes that I'm looking forward to going down. Whenever I've done a little bit more reading and uh, soul searching on, but mm-hmm. a lot to do with uh, just sort of the the faceless men overall. I guess we can we can talk about some of that now because that's something I've never talked to you about in general. But uh, now we have a, a closer look at the process. Obviously, we've read it before, and if you're listening, I mean, those of you who are listening right now, I assume that you've read through this before and you're going through with us right now in a feast of dragons on your reread so you remembered it we remembered it this is not a detail that i forgot the way that the house of black and white works but looking at it like this in a in a one chapter perspective especially following being so critical about the way that we're thinking about our main characters of the chapter interfacing with their gods from like vic 1 the last one we just yes, did yes yes the, the way that the the position that these gods hold in these, the brains of our characters is so different and uh, the way that we're still seeing what seems to be real activity or at least real results from paying attention to these, I don't know, entities, these uh bastions of power, sources of power rather, is uh, not – I'm not – I have no questions that are answered. I'm still confused. Right. But I have gotten so many answers. Right. But I'm still really confused. <laughs> what about you?
0: You get answers that lead to additional questions. And you know, you're describing kind of where we're at. And we're physically deeper into the house of black and white than we've ever been. Yep. Emotionally deeper, magically deeper mm-hmm. than we've ever been. Thanks to a lot of the things that comes to light in this chapter. And I think that you bring up a good point. And something I'm excited to kind of talk about with this chapter is the role that the gods play and have played at, over the last couple of chapters that we've talked about, specifically with Victorion, which we did last time. Now we're rolling into this chapter, and we're getting getting in the beginning this description of eleven servants of the many-faced god gathering all together, and they're sitting in these werewood chairs in this beautiful, suspicious. I don't know if suspicious is necessarily the best way to describe it, but the vibes are different here in this hall that just everything feels so secret. And they're wearing robes of black and white and they're all wearing different faces based on whatever day it is. And it's just there's a lot of mystery surrounding what's happening here. And thinking about these types of institutions and these religions that we're working with and the way that they kind of all interface with each other is something that we'll hopefully get a lot more answers to. Down the road, and I felt like, at the very beginning, in here, even with just these like would faces on the chairs in the beginning, is kind of some of those first glimmers, potentially, of potential ties that we have with a place like the House of Black and White, which seems to be fairly freestanding. While Arya is there, and what's happening in Westeros with
1: our faves, for sure. So, two questions: What made you suspicious from this? From the part that you just discussed and from those glimmers of familiarity from the werewood, what do you reckon is connected from what you're familiar with?
0: How it's connected, you're saying? Yeah. yeah.
1: What? Because, I mean, I, I don't think it's, it's on accident. And I think that we all have our own feelings and suspicions about it. I'm just curious to what you think. Clean slate.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question and one that I haven't necessarily teased out for myself on first thought, it's like, oh, these chairs are probably made from. I mean, where where wood is very light, and so maybe it just fits with the aesthetics very well. They're yeah. like, oh man, doubtful. This, <laughs> <laughs> this wood looks really good in here. Uh, it has nothing to do with what's happening, but um, you know, so much of every chapter in A Song of Ice and Fire, especially with Arya here, and basically every other character, but whatever, just deals with this whole idea. Of identity, And I feel like Werewood is so deeply connected in our minds to the North and the old gods, which is where Arya comes from. And so to kind of have those reminders at the beginning of a chapter while Arya is in her own weird way attempting to or not attempting to fully forget who she was before and assimilate with this strange group that is full of mystery and ritual and magic and science. You know, mm-hmm. I like that we've kind of have this little nod to this world that Arya was once a part of while she, too, is kind of struggling with it on the inside. What does that have to do with how the House of Black and White is directly tied to the things happening in the north or somewhere else or happening in West, West? I'm not 100 percent sure, you know are they tied to like the children of the forest or something because they're using some of those same materials or is it like a money thing or are they hired by some group or whatever? I don't, I don't have any really well-formed thoughts on that. So mm-hmm. we can keep talking about it. And I don't know if you have well-formed
1: thoughts about that. I, I have thoughts. I don't know if they're well-formed. <laughs> yeah, let's, see. Let's, let's strike form, the well-formed. Let's form fun. them now. <laughs> so if the children of the forest are connected, obviously to, they obviously are connected rather to this type of life form these trees um i, I don't want to draw them symbiotic necessarily by design i think that that's by choice mm-hmm. of of that race of people and so i'll call this an, an ancient magical life form that is uh channeling we've we've discussed this uh recently and we haven't really made up our minds whether or not if it's specifically a key part of the process of some kind of scrying or warging I think that it's a, um, a a possibility that it is a sort of physical manifestation of some of this power trying to get its way out of some kind of ether, let's call it. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's how I feel right now. And I feel like what they're doing there in the House of Black and White, specifically with taking the identity of other people – is in the same sort of family as sending your consciousness to a cat like Arya did mm-hmm. or sending it to a wolf inside of your mm-hmm. dream or being even better suited for handling it on in a real-time level like Bran or Vermeer's Sixkins. So I think that the wherewood is an aspect, and I think that their use of the same sort of magic... Because at this point, I feel like we have to start saying magic. I've been... I've been resisting it for a long time, but it's, it's hard. It feels so crazy right now. I don't know if I'd go that far yet, but we could talk about that. It's so so. I feel like what they're doing is is sort of like how I described the other the other working activities being an aspect of that um, technology. What they do is an aspect of it, much like the the tree itself. Mm-hmm. It's just a physical manifestation mm-hmm. of some some th- power or some. Detail of it mm-hmm. that has made its way to the physical plan that's breeds and is has seeds and keeps going. And, you know, there's a, you have the ability to keep using it or like a flavoring for a dish that grows naturally, except the this isn't food that you eat. It's food for thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, And so let's use it on our door. And let's use it – I think it serves a couple purposes. I think that it's rare, and so that's cool. Whenever you have all of this capital and you don't know what to do with it and you're trying to decorate your place really well, well, let's use the uh, the idea of something. That's really cool. We saw that down in the, the deep underseller. With the use of human bones, like we got all these human bones, what's more ornate and weird than this? Let's make the column out of actual skulls. So a good choice is to sort of resonate with whatever you're already working with. And so since they're using human anatomy, which they recycle bodies there as decoration and as actual structure for that place, I'm assuming that the werewood tree in some way has some kind of specific use or at least some tie to what they're doing there. And as I discussed before, where they're being connected with warging in some way, or at least an aspect of how it seems like warging works, it just makes sense that they would want to use it in a decorative way as well, not mm-hmm. just because it's fancy, but also right. it is kind of fancy and you know, they're really close to the Isle of Gods. And I think, like I said, it's not specifically tied to the first men or or, or specifically tied to what became the children of the forest. And they're from this area anyway, they're from all over this planet. And they have roots that go back as far as the trees themselves. So, you know, it makes sense that it would be represented in a place that's also an ancient order that begs itself to be. When we think about how Arya saw that there were more places to go further down. Yes. I think that all of us, I know that I did, think of all the possibilities of how much the knowledge there really is here. And how much those people really wanted to do interesting stuff and organize themselves in a impressive way for such a long time that there's just going to take a long time to crack into that info but i think that ultimately and this is something that the chapter also revealed to me no matter how deep that mystery goes and how useful that info can be i think we saw the main flourish of their info like their sort of actual the way that they use their art probably the main way there's probably deeper stuff but i think this is the main thing And we saw the current manifestation of their ability. I don't know if the current people that are working at the House of Black and White are less good than the people that used to, that built the actual pillar full of skulls, that concepted all of this in the first place. We tend to romanticize the past and think it was so much more epic and mysterious and we're just a shadow of what our... Modern com- our our modern composers are a shadow of what our classical composers were able to put together. Imagination is strained by right. humanity being distracted by all these distractions. This, I feel like the chapter revealed that they're while mysterious and impressive to Arya and us, they're still human, mm-hmm. and she needs to serve drinks, and they have to meet at a table, and they don't know that she's lying, and she knows that she can they know withhold information. Lying. They they do, but they don't know everything. Sure, they don't know about her working into that cat. It seems sure. like. Maybe they have a feeling, but I feel like Arya is showing me that even in a place where it feels like there's so much ability and that they're so on top of things and it's so somewhat impenetra- impenetrable that they're still just humans mm-hmm. at the end of the day.
0: It made me think about um, when we are down at the very bottom of everything, when he she's finally getting her face for the first time and the kindly man is talking to her kind of about what this is and what they're doing and kind of the base of what they're trying to get at and he says mummers change their faces with artifice the kindly man was saying and sorcerers use glamours weaving light and shadow and desire to make which is an interesting word to make illusions that trick the eye these arts you shall learn but what we do here goes deeper wise men can see through artifice and glamours dissolve before sharp eyes but that face you are about to don will be as true and solid as the face you were born with keep your eyes closed then they go into which i'm excited to get into just kind of the whole process of her donning a new face and so you're talking about working and kind of the base of being able to actually use these abilities that are being uncovered and that's really what they're trying to do here is they're not trying to do glamours or tricks of the eye Mm -hmm. they're really trying to kind of actually operate in whatever system they've tapped into, yeah. which I think is really interesting. And so it's like you're saying you, you kind of um, decorate your space to inspire you and to oh, yeah. bring the mood and to kind of set the tone. And so that could just play into that. But
1: yeah, some people in the seven kingdoms live in huts and then a couple of them live in giant buildings mm-hmm. that are these physical representations of their, I guess, the power that they command.
0: And we just happen to spend a lot of time with the ones in these powerful locations, and so I just think you know we're to me pretty clearly coming to the end of Arya's journey here at the House of Black and White. I don't think we have much longer here before she moves on to. I mean, we see in the Winds of Winter spoilers ahead if you don't want to listen, but we see in the Winds of Winter kind of what she ends up doing to use these powers that she's gaining. And so she's obviously not on the path of Listening being to them. dialed into what they're doing yeah why was it talking about why that we're at the end of this with her but um oh because it's interesting because we're still we still get so many callbacks to kind of what her original home and purpose is not just through her own thoughts and actions but also just kind of through the decor and i know that's not the main reason that they're there i think this warging thing that you're talking about is a little bit more interesting but I just like that that's another piece to this puzzle of Aria as she decides who she is, where she wants to go, who she wants to listen to, um, and who she wants to be while also still very much a child.
1: Yeah, that's something I forgot about when I was reading this. Mm-hmm. And then I was looking over my notes and I was like, oh, yeah. And th- I think about all the stuff that she's gone through as well. I was so critical. I was, I was thinking, why did she refuse to see things in the way that they want her to see them? it's obviously because she's young and because she's gone through so much stuff it's not because she's that self-centered sure. but in my head I'm thinking she just can't let go of it she's <laughs> got to she's got to <laughs> insert herself in every possible opportunity for this but
0: she's that's not kid. really what's going on yeah so yeah very moody as we kind of look at the significance of of things like that but you were saying earlier about how she is continuing to have these thoughts and kind of seemingly trick the people around her mm-hmm. with what she's doing. They continue to, there's a couple points in this chapter where various people are saying, if you want to stop, you can stop. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do this. And then they continue on down the road. To me, I see, to me, I would be shocked if somebody like Aria who were saying is a child and is pretty self-centered and self whatever, because she's been through so much trauma, I don't see her as being smart enough to necessarily trick this ancient order that is filled with so much mm. shrouded in so much mystery. Yeah. She's not that clever. I think she can.
1: I, I feel like I feel like she can because they're just people. And she's gone through so much that she's had to learn how to be cunning in so many different environments. And she was given the coin in the first place. Mm-hmm. They trusted her enough to be like, okay.
0: Unless that was a test, too. Like, Which part you know, of it? The whole – that whole scenario, her going to um, the insurance guy, the loan oh, okay. guy. Oh, okay. her, Is that what you're talking about? Her. Uh, oh, I, was, oh. I was talking
1: about originally with Jacken.
0: Oh, god, it, 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 got it, got it, got it, got it. Just,
1: She's made of the yeah. right stuff. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I think she's right. made of the right stuff and that while at first she might not be savvy to what they're up to, I think especially after she's learned how to navigate that place and she's become so intimately uh, familiarized with her environment and with – on on a level that physical punishment was invoked and hopefully an end to this suffering of not being able to see that she's become so close to the way that she's felt bad that she probably has no option but to be really good at understanding it now. And I think that she understands, and I, I really got the feeling from reading this chapter more than any of the other House of the Black and White, uh, Arya Bravo's perspective chapters before, that pretty much their main game is what she... It's almost uh, perfectly, um, not analogized, but um, packaged in the same way in a small scene or in a way that she acted in a small scene when she was... um, There was a moment where she knew that she could say more details, but... If she said nothing, then she wouldn't give the kindly man ammunition to feel her out whether or not she was lying. And I feel like that's really their whole thing here is to sort of hold back all reservations to basically not act or say anything until someone comes to us and gives us money to go do something. We have all this ability, but we don't actively we're not actually we're not actively putting our nodes out there and trying to change things maybe that's not the case now with some of the operatives for the house of black and white we don't know enough yet but suspicions are that they're sort of acting on their own accord but Mm -hmm. we don't know they could be being paid by someone sure i'm not sure i'm i'm it must be really weird to have all this power and to not do something Self-motivated by it, but again, like I what said, like
0: the golden, com- like these cell swords, golden company. If they moved know? in
1: and and gave them money and requested something for the many-faced god, like but a no, but specific like they're target, the same
0: kind of thing. Of like they're just going where the money is.
1: You're you're so right. But the thing about them is they're full of the people with all of these active personalities that talk and lie, and mm-hmm. it's easy to figure out. Here they wait and they they won't they won't say anything unless they absolutely have to reveal some kind of information. And so she figured out why she was talking to them. More so in this chapter than before, she was sort of understanding that I can sort of navigate. This is why I I said that I feel like it's traversable Mm -hmm. because I think she's starting to understand how they play, which is we just I will just not really say anything unless I have to say something. I'll just not talk. And if you ask me something specific, then I'll find a way to answer it without lying if I can. But in general, it's just this sort of knowing self-confidence that you can get in and out of any situation that you want and that kind of describes them perfectly as assassins that, that what she did later in the chapter with the when she was pickpocketing the guy with the coin purse it's i mean she did that it seemed like it was all going wrong that's again Just like amazing. a manifestation of that scenario yeah. it seemed like it went all wrong but actually she had full confidence of the situation she was totally hmm. in control she was in control because she knew exactly the least amount that she needed to do. She didn't need to lie. She didn't need any extra details. She didn't need to boast about her personality. She didn't need to tell you about her lineage or where she's from. And that's really what they're trying to get her to do. They're trying to get her to the point where she's putting none of herself into any of this, where she's not coloring any of it. That's why when she told them, she said, I, I feel like this guy's bad and I want to change what's happening because he's a bad guy. And he's going to know my name or he's going to know I did it at the end and he'll feel bad in a certain way. And they were like, actually, it'd be better if you did your job and he didn't even know that you did it. That's actually what you need to do. And it's not like he could tell anyone if he was dead. So why is it bad if at the end of his life I let you know that Lannister's in their regards? Yeah. No one's going to say anything. Yeah. He's going to be dead.
0: Because that's still – so there's a There's like fifty thoughts that are swirling around in my head through everything that you were saying, Um, and but I think to answer your last question, that is part of taking all the ego out of it. And so even if you are having this Lannister sends a regards moment, that's your ego playing into the situation, or that's you bringing yourself into the situation, Mm -hmm. And, and Arya can't help but bring herself into this situation the whole time and that might like you're saying be part of the game that she's playing even at the beginning she's thinking about the her list pretty early on in the chapter mm-hmm. when she meets with the what do they call him the plagued faced man is he how he's them. described yeah he, and he
1: it was just a 11 faceless men assuming that they're some kind of a council leadership
0: right so he comes to trace he says, who are you the plagued faced man asked when they were alone no one not so, your Aria of House Stark, who bites her lip and cannot tell a lie. I was, I am not now. Why are you here, liar? To serve, to learn, to change my face. He says, first to change your heart. First change your heart. The gift of the many-faced God is not a child's plaything. You would kill for your own purposes, for your own pleasures. You deny it. She bites her lip. He slaps her. And then he thinks about, or she thinks about the list. It says, Sir Gregor, she could not help but think. Dunson, Raph the Sweetling, Sir Illyn, Sir Marin, Queen Cersei. And so... Um, Something I was kind of teasing out in my mind as you were talking through her navigating this and kind of her purpose is one of the questions I had was, and I think I maybe mentioned it a little bit earlier, she keeps getting past these checkpoints and continues to learn more and continues to be brought into the fold and to be taught more and to be given more when she we can see from our perspective that she's not really as deeply in it as she's supposed to be. Yeah, And so is that something – so from your perspective, that's something that she's realized and she's taking advantage of. So she bites her lip a lot in this chapter or she thinks about biting her lip a lot in this chapter. Yeah. But she's biting her lip in front of the right people and not biting her lip in front of – other people, based kind of on how their perception needs to be of her, you think she's really really calculating at that level to learn mm. as much information as she can to then get out?
1: No, I don't. I don't think she has a plan. I think okay. she's trying to do the best that she can. Mm-hmm. And this is the best that she can probably because of her age and that she doesn't fully realize. I mean, these guys are so much older than her and so much smarter. As far as uh, being able to sort of read a room and and fill fill the vibe, and you know, it's so much easier when you see someone young that's kind of bullshitting you what they're actually up to, yeah. And so they can see what she's actually up to. But I also think that, and we talk when when she responds to them, uh, she thinks he means to send me away. I have no heart. I only have a hole. I've killed lots of people. I could kill you if I wanted. Would that taste sweet to you? She did not know the right answer. Maybe. I think that this exchange shows that she's thinking whether or not she should answer him at all Mm -hmm. and knows that she has to. So she finds the neutral option, like I said. That is is showing them that she's growing. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they're concerned necessarily with her being perfect yet, especially at her age. Of course. I think they're impressed that she's so capable at such a young age and that she's willing to act in such a specific way that they can use. And I don't think that they have a lot of people that are her size and age and I think that it helps to have a little bit of functionality, a little bit of difference to your team. I don't think that they're relying on her to make or break their order. No.
0: And of I course think that not.
1: they feel like they have her pretty well under their thumb. And also I think that they're really capable in a way that if she goes, goes off the rails, they're they're confident they can take care of it if they need to.
0: That's fair. That's a good point. It's just interesting to me because we we see what Arya experiences to what to the extent that we understand. Aria experiences what the magic is that they're using. Aria experiences yeah. the process. Mm-hmm. She experiences the feeling. She experiences how to get to that point. She's been in the rooms. She's she knows how many steps it takes With her to get there. This time. She knows she her senses are very tuned in and so you know they could take care of her pretty sure. easily yeah. probably if yeah. she leaves. But she has a lot of information at this point.
1: That, that goes back to what I said about um, – that's why I feel rather. That's why I feel like they're just human. Part mm-hmm. of the reason why I feel like they're just human. Other than the fact that so much about the beginning of this chapter is the procession of them inhabiting a physical space like human beings needing drink of, and they having of having specific kinds of drinks that they want. And also being from an order that has the – Um, the mind to use these artifacts that are part of their magical process as decoration in their house. All these very sort of personality-driven decisions. You want to
0: buy into the whole thing. When they're not trying to be
1: personality-driven people. Yeah. So it's like, yes, they are just people. Of course they are just people, but when it's a few people or when it's Jack and Hagar doing seemingly – Impossible things and also seeming like he never dies, it seems like they might be more than people. And then a magical story, it's possible, always possible, that some people are more than people or they have these mysteries surrounding them that make them more than people in some way. But I feel like the fact that Arya is the person that she is and we're able to see the ambiguous nature of her thoughts and they're giving her more access, like she actually is upgrading, I think is what happens to people at work all the time in this world, where they're like, I can't believe yeah. that I'm <laughs> Me old enough the to ranks. Be <laughs> taking this seriously, yeah. or like I'm getting this much responsibility, or I'm, I have this kind of paycheck, or I'm...
0: Or this BS title that feels way too high, Ex- based on... <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. think that it's a, a, a really brilliant stroke of realism by George R. R. Martin, as he's showing us some of the... P- the most magical stuff in the series so far to also be showing the flaws of these people. I think so completely because she's not actually there with them. And they know that, but everyone's kind of cool with it. You know? Yeah. They're like, you're young, you're a young kid. It's not perfect. You're an acolyte now. Congratulations.
0: But then, so what's the point? Because we don't have a lot to go off of because the show put Arya on a very one-track mind killing spree that I think will probably – we were talking about Cat earlier. Mm-hmm. That might go to something more like Catelyn Stark is going to – weren't we talking about Catelyn I was talking on the about Canals. No, on the podcast a couple I did a solo episodes, podcast go, about Catelyn. You did? Yeah. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but thinking about like what Catelyn might do in the future, I think is a little bit more of this oh. like – um, we talked about this in the Urine Review episode. Yeah, yeah. With like Brianne and Jamie. She get might
1: confused when we don't call her Lady Stoneheart.
0: I know. Sorry, yeah. LSH. Yeah. Um. She probably is a little bit more suited from a book perspective to go on this one track minded killing spree. Is what I'm trying to say. Hmm. Whereas I think Arya's, That makes sense. What What's going to happen to Arya is is going to be much more well rounded. But when yeah. you think about where the point that she's at right now is just this deeply traumatized person who is desperately trying to hold on to her her identity, i.e. Theon, and trying very hard to make sense of who she is based off of her surroundings. She's learning the skills to then be on this one track. Like, what is she going to do with this?
1: Oh, so much.
0: What is the the point of the House of Black and White, if you feel like she's really able to trick them all? Mm -hmm. I that's that's kind of the question there. I tend to fall into the category based on no necessarily evidence, but just my own personal feelings and heart is that I would much prefer <laughs> maybe this says a lot about like my buy into religion. I would much prefer that the house of black and white be real <laughs> and like be actually something real.
1: Very pious or something?
0: Something that is working well and has real power and is really going to make a difference. And it's actually moving strings. I want Aria to to come through here and be bested by them and for her to Mm. learn things, but for her to come out like disgraced on the other side, we see what happens in the mercy chapter. I want that to be like a disgraceful thing that she gets kicked to the curb and it's this traumatizing experience for somebody who's already been through so much trauma. Like I I want, I want the house of black and white to be powerful. I don't want a kid to be coming in and to be able to lie like that to these people who have been through, from what we understand, this very intense psychological draining and physical training. And, and Ari even makes a point of that at some point in the chapter, which I need to find, at one of the points when they say, you can leave if you want. And she thinks to herself, where am I going to go I've done all this stuff already. I've spent all this time cleaning all these bodies and going through all the I lost my sight. I went through all this stuff. Where am I going to go with all of this if I don't progress? And I don't remember the point,
1: as always. I don't remember the point You were saying, saying that you want them to be someone that bests oh, her, not that she makes it through.
0: Where, where am I going to go with all of this? And I want it to be a situation where she... I don't want it to be a situation, but it's more interesting to me based, like I said, off nothing. If she gets bested by this power and this entity that's bigger than she is Mm -hmm. and knows more and is more powerful and then she's for the streets and has to kind of figure out what's next. I like the idea of there being real power held somewhere. So why not at the House of Black and White?
1: I'm with you. You got anything else? Keep keep going.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know, but you know, it's just interesting because she just her her internal monologues te- seems to flip around a lot based off of what she wants to do and she is, seems to be scared but she also seems to be pretty assured and she's thinking about Sansa and she's dreaming about her parents in this gruesome way. Mm-hmm. But she also seems strong. She talks about how she feels strong. You know, I think that she probably has a lot of things swirling in her head about, like you were saying, she doesn't necessarily have a plan. But it's wild that she doesn't have a plan in this place. But she counts the steps. I don't know why. That, like, just felt to me as something of she's so deeply aware of her surroundings. Sure.
1: Yeah, no, she's very capable. And continues to be more capable. She's always been capable from the very beginning of the story in different ways. Someone that kind of stuck out for her age and also for her gender in a way that surprised a lot of people. And it surprised uh, uh, the way – or it surprised people in the story and it changed the way a lot of people treated her. And so she's constantly breaking conventions, which is cool. But I think that for a place like this, her capability – or rather an order like this, her capability makes her valuable, mm-hmm. and it makes her dangerous in the story moving forward in a way that she hasn't been dangerous before, but in an even another level of danger, an even more serious level of danger. The danger for who?
0: Danger. For whoever's against her. For anyone who's against yeah. the Starks forever.
1: Sure. <laughs> she's Starks forever. She's physically capable, but also I think it's, she's showing, apart from it, they're trying to help her, apart from what she's able to separate mentally The stuff that she's able to notice is on a really high level. But where she sort of falters, and we see it with Raph in the next chapter, that uh, where she sort of falters is her um, inability to separate from coloring things objectively. She is biased. She's very biased.
0: And she loves killing.
1: She loves killing.
0: For her own pleasure.
1: She does. She does. Well, she just likes taking care of things in a way that satisfies her um, completely. You know what I mean? By changing something so completely because she has the power to do it. She likes to see her power used. And uh, I think that there's ways to do it without being lethal. And I think that she's, like I said, is becoming uh, more she's, like you said, very mentally aware of of her environment. But I think that whenever she takes their advice and is able to see things more objectively and to remove her personal feelings out about it, that it's going to emerge sort of perfectly in the mental or perfectly in the middle so where she's mentally able to be as capable as she is starting to become physically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, then she's going to be really dangerous.
0: Yeah. Well, you think about like how much she was practicing flipping that knife. And you yeah. think that she's going to use that to slit the uh, the insurance guy. What do I call him? The old man, the insurance guy, to slit his throat. The
1: binding guy.
0: But in reality, she's then trying to slit the purse and that leads the whole thing. Like, yeah, she's got that physical. To be as sharp there. It's going to be interesting,
1: and to know to plan it the day yeah. ahead, and to do yeah. your blocking so well—that those are signs of uh, of a high level of intelligence that's, that's not normally discussed. It's also very boring it for most people, us too. And so, if she's able to do it and not be bored, and to know that it's important, she's really dangerous and effective. So it makes sense that these people want her to be a part of the House of Black and White, and she's able to kill people for them. She's able to complete contracts. Mm-hmm. I don't really think, and again, this is a part. This is a part of the reason why I think that they're. More fallible than what it seems like with the power, with the amount of power that they have and, and their awesome choice of decor. They're just more, it seems to me like they're more okay with her getting the job done than being a perfect trainee. They just want her to continue to show development and they want her to, most importantly, just understand that job. if we. If we act like we're computer programs, we can get more done than if we put so much of this human emotion into everything. Yeah. And so they limit the emotion, it seems like, as much as they can. And we've seen it manifest in ways that are so complete as to what looks like killing yourself mm-hmm. like when you when drink the poison or trading your life for someone else's and not even caring. Like that's the ultimate level it seems like these guys have made it to. And if that's really where they all are past the acolyte level, whenever they're really a part of it, if that's the level of separation from their ego that they're all at, I think they have the power that you're talking about the best that they can. Yeah. And if I'm right about this magical shape-shifting ability being 80% of what they're able to do magically, I think those things combined is a lot for an order. Unless there's an actual God living at the very bottom of this tower, (laughs) you know, that's connected in a – uh, a, a tunnel that they've been digging to the uh, their old location, their starting point from uh, Old Valyria.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's unless, cool.
1: unless that exists, I think that this is probably as much as we can ask for. And so on a geopolitical level, whenever shit starts going down, the tatter print starts moving west, et cetera, I think that these guys are going to be uniquely capable in a way that uh, I think might satisfy you. But as far as her being bested by them i think that there's no way that she won't be because i think that they're so much older and so much more aware of bravos and of all the possibilities and of the shifting of someone's face whenever they're lying to you and i think that as seen in mercy it's going to take a lot for Arya to stop thinking about things for what she wants them to be right and it's going to take her a lot right to stop making decisions based on what she feels personally motivated to do and instead of what she knows will suit her plan the best right. maybe it'll come together whenever she gets a plan and maybe she'll be forced to have one after she gets kicked out of this place i wonder, if that's what, what, happens. The, I
0: wonder what that toge- like what that turning point is going to be for her but she does have a plan her list
1: oh yeah i mean that is well, kind of go. her plan yeah um hmm.
0: i was just laughing about like what i want to happen to aria is like what i'm trying to do with my nephew recently is like try to trip him so he just like builds up a little grit exactly (laughs) you know i
1: thought you were talking about the face thing no let's talk about this what do you guys do
0: something else i was kind of pondering on is so you know if they have this power if they're real Like I said, cool. Like you're talking about cool. They can be like this real institution. Not only do they have this magical power or whatever you want to call it, but they also potentially – curious what you think about this. They potentially have a lot of knowledge. So something that was interesting and struck me was that Arya puts this new face on and she has these – she remembers things that from that person's life. Yeah. Very high level comes and goes in little splotches, but she's able to recall – some of these traumatic experiences that this person had and there's hundreds of thousands of faces down there
1: mm, there's baby faces
0: there's baby faces which is i'm actually i'm going to read it if i can and then and then i'm going to get to my point if that's okay a thousand faces were gazing down on her they hung upon the walls before her and behind her high and low everywhere she looked everywhere she turned she saw old faces and young faces, pale faces and dark faces, smooth faces and wrinkled faces, freckled faces and scarred faces. It's like one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. It
1: does have a little bit of a poetry yeah. in that, right?
0: Handsome faces and homely faces, men and women, boys and girls, even babes, smiling faces, frowning faces, faces full of greed and rage and lust, bald faces and faces bristling with hair, masks. She told herself it's only masks, but even as she thought... The thought, she knew it wasn't so. They were skins. But basically what I'm kind of thinking about is there's a lot of life in there, a lot of knowledge, a lot of things that people have lived and seen and experienced that may come to fruition in the minds of these people who are taking faces. So are they gaining anything or Mm. learning anything or understanding anything, even if it's just from like a a strictly – research. A strictly psychological level of the people around them, what kind of information they're going to have about people and places and things because they're able to glimpse into the lives of so many thousands of people through the changing of faces.
1: Hmm.
0: I don't know if that's something that will necessarily lead to anything specific. It's just another piece in that canon of there's a lot of information. That well, it they definitely have.
1: could if we know that's how it works. Right. It seems like the thing that was most imprinted in your living life will somehow be transferred to whatever essence that they're able to to channel from the the changing of the face.
0: Yeah, and so I'm trying to find the dream. They say—we need to read all of this because it's pretty unbelievable—but they say— They say you may have bad dreams for a time. Warned the kindly man. Her father beat her so often and so brutally that she was near. She was never truly free, of pain or fear until she came to us. Um. And then they kind of talk about her backstory a little bit, but sleep did not come easily that night. Tangled in her blankets, she twisted in a way that was cold and dark. So she doesn't. I mean, she doesn't necessarily talk specifically about this person's life very specifically but i mean there's some gathering of knowledge and information about people and i just thought that was kind of interesting
1: yeah no there's possibilities for it to be useful if you're able to sort of pinpoint um let's say like a face on the wall from a time that you want to understand better mm-hmm. it's like a small fragments like a pensive almost small oh, fragments yeah. of what yeah, they're yeah. able to access from the from the ether
0: there's more information still sto. More information stored here in the House of Black and White.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty cool thing. They know a lot, but it's so a, what? It, it, it almost seems perfectly mirrored by the fact that they don't care so much that they're able to maintain it, which I think is, is part of really good storytelling, something that's really sweet, but also so bitter at the same time you guys could be doing so much. Look at all this info and capability that you have, but they just don't care.
0: Maybe that's why – maybe this is just like the life lesson for us specifically. It's like when you're able to let go of your – uh, human desires you can really accomplish a lot more sure. in a day. <laughs> oh no that,
1: I definitely feel that way for sure.
0: <laughs> it's like a very intense and to the extreme version of the same thing.
1: Yeah but these guys are boring at the same time so if we're talking personally I think there's some kind of balance that can be struck. Sure
0: they're boring but they have really cool chairs. They have
1: great chairs. Their chairs are great. They are living in a place that has been paid off for eons man. And uh, like I said there's really cool tunnels and lots of mysterious stuff there's doorways i want to go into and they're not going to invite me because i don't want to do what they want you to do to get down in there probably
0: <laughs> to let go of yourself i mean so they talk about the price that she has to pay is herself to yeah. like really truly be the sure. one and at what point is she has she really rid herself enough in I don't order she to has be it the all. one
1: yeah I mean, she no, hasn't no she hasn't but she's really useful and really good at it so good for her and you know Maybe that's good news for other folks. But I think it also just sort of shines a light on the necessity or the rather um, uh, the what's not unnecessity that it doesn't really have to be that. You just have to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. so like you're lying. This face will not work. It's like, no, they gave you the drink and they did the the ritual. The face works. works. We did this to you. So you don't have to be one of us. Like you can probably continue to do this. If she finds out how to do it on her own, she can think that they're. Geezers and that they don't make any sense, and she can probably just do all this on her own if wow. she understands it. She doesn't have to respect them to use their That's magic. That's going be wild. Yeah.
0: But then she gets a pretty face next. See?
1: Yeah. I can't remember how pretty.
0: No, the end, they're like, you'll get a pretty face. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm
1: trying to remember how pretty how described she it. was.
0: Yeah. Oh, I man. Mean, her, the main
1: person in a play, I guess, pretty pretty. Her. Bravo.
0: Being able to do something like this on her own. Yeah. It's kind of exciting.
1: Definitely leveled up.
0: It's kind of what you were saying earlier. It's just we're gonna finally be able to get to go back to basics and it's just Starks forever. We can all get the game back together.
1: And she's gonna be able to do stuff on a level that's not just uh we're we're Oh, the Arya that we like is such a big part of the story because we like her. It's like, no, she's gonna be able to handle things. And she's gonna and be able to hang. Things. That's and what she I'm saying. And Sansa
0: yeah. are gonna both be so powerful that they're not gonna get in these petty little fights over literally whatever people are finding under each other's beds so that I can't even remember exactly what happened. I
1: don't so, even know what you're talking about. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's it's probably for the best. Um, I wanna read so much of this, but it's kind of long. I wanna read the process of Oh, the face.
1: for sure, read the process, yeah. Um, I call it the face transition.
0: Yeah, I want to read it. So there's a couple of paragraphs, so bear with me.
1: Guys, we're pulling back the curtain. Mary Monster's tent, they closed it. They said you could not enter Victorian's cabin. George transitioned was outside. He said, you cannot be here for this.
0: But now we're here.
1: We're bringing you inside the flaps.
0: So they finally get down the winding steps. Sit, the priest commanded. She sat. "'Now close your eyes, child.' She closed her eyes. "'This will hurt,' he warned her. But pain is the price of power. "'Do not move.' "'Still as stone,' she thought. "'She sat unmoving. "'The cut was quick, the blade sharp. "'By rights, the metal should have been cold against her flesh, "'but it felt warm instead. "'She could feel the blood washing down her face, "'a rippled red curtain falling across her brow and cheeks and chin, "'and she understood why the priest had made her close her eyes.' When it reached her lips, the taste was salt and copper. She licked it and shivered. Bring me the face, said the kindly man. The waif made no answer, but she could hear the slippers whispering over the stone floor. To the girl, he said, Drink this, and pressed a cup into her hand. She drank it down at once. It was very tart, like biting into. Are you playing your harmonica? (laughs) Like biting into a lemon. A thousand years ago, she had known a girl who had loved lemon cakes. No, that was not me that was only Arya. skipping ahead because we already talked about this then came a tug and a soft rustling as the new face was pulled down over the old the leather scraped across her brow dry and stiff but as her blood soaked into it it softened and turned supple her cheeks grew warm flushed she could feel her heart fluttering beneath her breast and for one long moment she could not catch her breath hands closed around her throat hard as stone choking her Her own hands shot up to claw the arms of her attacker, but there was no one there. A terrible sense of fear filled her, and she heard a noise, a hideous crunching noise, accompanied by a blinding pain. A face floated in front of her, fat, bearded, brutal, with his mouth twisted with rage. This is what we were talking about earlier that I was looking for. This is when she feels what that person lived through. She heard the priest say, breathe, child, breathe out the fear. Shake off the shadows. He is dead. She is dead. Her pain is gone. Breathe. Yo, I love the moment when it says the leather scraped across her brow, dry and stiff, but as her blood soaked into it, it softened and turned supple. I feel like that's the imagery of that. As we're getting, as we're saying this, deeply insiders look into how this goes. I mean, they're literally just cutting off her face and she drinks something, which we don't know what's in the drink.
1: Reminds her of lemons, which reminds her of home.
0: We don't know what's in the drink, but they literally just cut the face off. She's still pretty conscious and put a new one back on blood magic i mean i guess so yeah. they make a pretty clear point to talk about blood quite a bit yeah. in this
1: there would be blood but what a great way to localize the blood magic mm-hmm. you're literally using it to even soften the next phase right
0: no chanting though that
1: i can that i can gather
0: No chanting, but the shuffling of slippers
1: over the stone floor. Oh, God, that would creep me out.
0: (laughs) It's just interesting. And I am thinking about what you said about her maybe being able to do this on her own. I mean, this is the first time, so it's hard and confusing and scary, and she doesn't know know what to expect. But Mm. down the road, she may be able to just
1: like you know Jacken? when you put
0: contacts in for the first time? Oh god. They it it wouldn't let
1: me leave the autometrist. Yeah it takes. And they made me hours stay there like forty-five minutes.
0: And your eyes hurt, and now that I can sit worst. on the floor in my pajamas and just put my contacts in without a mirror, you know, that's kind cool. of situation. Maybe that'll be what this is like for her. That's
1: powerful to be able to do that. Oh,
0: for sure. It's very powerful.
1: So that's like Jack in. He's he's gotten to that point because yeah. you know, she does, she in this chapter moves up to do the the movement mm-hmm. that, that he did in a uh, Heron Hall mm-hmm. to sort of switch the face around. Mm-hmm. So he's figured out this upper level to being able to do it. Maybe she can, too. I wonder if you have to carry the faces with you, like in a bag or something.
0: Well, so um, I don't know. the kindly man talks about these no. glamours and sh- sh- <laughs> these glamours, these lights, these shadows. Can you read
1: that again? That section?
0: Yeah. Mummers change their faces with artifice, this kindly man was saying, and sorcerers use glamours, weaving light and shadow and desire to make illusions that trick the eye. These arts you shall learn. But what we do here goes deeper. And so maybe she she understands this deeper level, which gives her quicker access to the surface level mm-hmm. because she's able to do this thing better. So like Jack in, in that moment may have been doing some sort of glamour or something.
1: It's possible. Potentially. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. That's I, so powerful. It seems like he's doing the whole thing because he's not a sorcerer and he is one of their people. But I could be wrong.
0: He but, might be. I mean, I don't understand. What I understand is what is listed here in this chapter. Yeah, <laughs> so, same. There's a lot to... I don't
1: even understand all that, to be honest. Yeah. I'm just trying to translate it into my, <laughs> from the actual words that I can read, the language that I understand, into my brain in a way that makes sense. Uh, light, shadow, and desire. I think that's key. And... um tricking the eye is something that we've seen people take really far in such a simple place think about the looking glass in the last chapter how impressive that was you know that was also in catelyn's chapter there was a a looking glass given to her as part of the uh the letter from Lysa. oh
0: yeah uh-huh
1: so cool in the box that lewin found but anyway um look at the the story and the Life that people that are able to use this technology, this this sort of hoodwinking, look what they're able to make mm-hmm. in this world mm-hmm. based on that now. So it makes sense that this order survived so long and has been so powerful off of one that even goes a little bit deeper.
0: And you think about the combination of somebody like Bran and yeah. the info he has. Mm-hmm. You add in somebody like Arya and the training and info she has and you mm. put... Sansa and the okay. info and training. <laughs> you're making your dream squad right now. All right. The, our dream squad is going to come true. Dude,
1: they're good. Is the thing is what about you're, it. what you're trying to say, right? That's that they the thing can about it.
0: Yeah. And so we're very, I mean, we've got one book essentially between us and the dream team getting back together. I think it's
1: seven. You think it's going to be seven? Yeah. I
0: think that we still have quite a while for them to kind of. We're talking about Arya's purpose and, you know, she's still got that list, which seems to be guiding her a lot, but by the, she's got that list, but at the same time, she's like, where else am I going to go if I leave here?
1: You're making a lot of sense right now. And
0: so I think she's got a little bit of time before she makes her journey back to Westeros, which I assume is something that she's going to be doing.
1: Within chapter three, right?
0: Potentially. I mean, I don't know. I, what her motivation to do, what, how did she get back to Westeros in the show?
1: Uh, good question It didn't really show it
0: Because she got, ki- remember she got stabbed in that really weird way Yeah I yeah. guess we should know this thing, these things But I didn't, I make it a point not to look up anything about the show before we record <laughs> Um, she, how does she make it back she to She just Westerns? shows up and, uh, Does she just the show up? feast Oh, well, okay Well, She then, just takes her face off That doesn't give us anything to go off of But, um, it'll be interesting if we think about Daenerys making her way across the sea. Arya is making her way across the sea. I mean, all of that's going to be happening around the same. Yeah. Around the same time, I would assume. Yeah. And so the only other thing I thought might be important for us to read or talk about potentially is the whole scene at the end when the moment finally comes and she's does her swindling. So good. And we as the reader are also tricked Mm -hmm. and thinking that she's made a big mistake my heart was beating so fast Mm -hmm. because she's been seemingly trying a little hard this whole time she's been staking everything out and then the bag rips and she's caught and it's like are you kidding me and then we get at the very end the kindly man finally understands what's going on he understands yeah
1: which you know Whenever that sort of anticipation to someone's disapproval and the calm, cool, collected atmosphere is there, there's there's that growth we were talking about. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That Good ab- point. ability
1: to understand what they're doing in a way that uh, not even we understood. I sort of got that it didn't go wrong because she didn't freak out in any way. She's not about
0: freaking But she freaking ran out. fast.
1: She did. She left. But there was no thought of, like, curses, italics. I really fucked that one up yeah, or something like that. Yeah, that's true.
0: That's true. I feel like I've been doing a lot of reading, but I'm going to read it anyway. Go ahead. You I want, I want to, to read
1: the whole sequence of them walking downstairs personally, which...
0: I skipped all that before I read the <laughs> the face thing, but... Um,
1: it's worth reading.
0: She gets back to the kindly man. The kindly man was waiting for her at the house of black and white, seated on the edge of the temple's pool. The ugly girl sat next to him and put a coin on the lip of the pool between them. It was gold with a dragon on one face and a king on the other. The golden dragon of Westeros, the kindly man said, The kindly man, how did you come by this? We are no thieves. It wasn't stealing. I took one of his, but I left him one of ours. The kindly man understood, and with that coin and the others in his purse, he paid a certain man. So after the man's heart gave out, or soon after, the man's heart gave out. Is that the way of it? Very sad. The priest picked up the coin and tossed it into the pool. You have much and more to learn but it may be you are not hopeless. Yeah. Clever. The clever girl.
1: Even on a cold gray day like this, I love this typical day of Bravo's description. Even on a cold gray day like this, the harbor was a busy place. She saw sailors on the prow for whores and whores on the prow for sailors. A pair of Bravos passed in rumpled finery, leaning on each other as they staggered drunkenly past the docks, their blades rattling at their sides. A red priest swept past, his scarlet and crimson robes snapping in the wind. I just feel like all so much of the good stuff was summed up right there. If only would have got a um, a nod to the seaweed floating in the harbor, maybe. A slight green tint.
0: I loved that whole thing, just describing all of her surroundings. Like, it seems a little...
1: I wish she was in the Isle of Gods.
0: Yes. It seems like a little extra... Almost, yeah, like, I was why thinking the same so exact much thing. Wandering through here in the yeah. morning and nothing's going on, mm-hmm. but I think it plays into what we've been talking about earlier is just the um her level of perception. Uh
1: totally. I think yeah, I think you're right. I think it also is supposed to give us some more uh um variability in the way we believe if this stuff is true or how powerful it all really is or whether it's actually like Macora was saying in the last chapter the the all the same thing like a bastardized Mm -hmm. translation of what the one great power it is Mm -hmm. so like this island could just be a big joke and they could really be the only ones having it right in the house of black and white or the people that follow the red god and um you know i think that's what human beings do we we create artistic representations of the things that we find to be true in a way that lasts long enough to be actually represented in stone or in song or in tradition and uh, Bravos is such a cool place that it it still exists like this, and that there's we're still deep enough in their history or far back enough in their history, rather, that places that seemingly represent sort of like silly ideas, like m- modern myth, still have power. It's kind of neat, even though Bravos is also a place that has insurance, mm, yeah, for their sailors, right? that don't
0: get paid, right? It seems
1: like, <laughs> yeah, I wonder what happened there. That's what I assumed. But. It had to be. I mean, what a crappy business. It doesn't seem like one that would make much sense because ships have such an abstract or some of them have such an abstract amount of value, I bet. It seems like it would be dangerous to insure them unless you are really getting a lot of business. A lot, of business. Seemed a lot yeah, of business. He seem to be getting a lot of, of business. There's a lot of people
0: coming in and out yeah. of that place. Yeah. But I think that.
1: Shows progress at least in the yeah. organization, which yeah. is neat to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm not hearing about anything like that in King's Landing or anywhere else. That's North. really
0: that's actually really true.
1: But while also having such a um, an open mind to these religious places mm-hmm. and being okay with it,
0: it's like the wealth of information that is available to people who are just open to what's going on around them yeah. and what's available to
1: them. They're they're uh, they're open and uh, pretty well. Uh, equipped to handle when things go wrong and uh kind of aggressive the bravo bravo's walking around with their swords the the uh prostitutes are not really bashful about what they do and it's not that hidden and it doesn't seem to be as taboo as in other places so they're raw but mm-hmm. they're getting a lot done within mm-hmm. their rawness and like you wanted to do with your with your uh, nephew
0: yeah i just my College roommates, kid.
1: Same difference, right? <laughs> you wanted to be a little yeah. rougher on the edges right. to lead to a little bit Knock of progress. A little. Exactly. Yeah. And it seems like that's kind of what they do here. Yeah. In a way. So pretty cool.
0: It is cool. I it will be sad for Arya to leave this place when she eventually does.
1: But I, after that paragraph I read, I don't know how much better it gets. Yeah. Unless we see the transition of the next side of it. But I think it would honestly take a long time for there to be real growth. If something really bad happened here, if Euron landed his ships in the next Aria chapter and blew it up, it would still take probably the course of a whole novel for it to become a different Bravos or longer. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're really getting it. We're kinda soaking it up right now. We went to the bottom of the house of black and white. I know there's passageways I still want to get into, but I think that they're always gonna haunt me instead of it being something it's that like I get closure uh, on.
0: It's like the the curtain in Harry Potter. Oh, the veil. The veil.
1: Yeah, of course. It's like that. It's exactly like that. Mysteries. For yeah. sure. It's exact or the love room.
0: Right. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> the one that you really want to
1: get into. Uh, what yeah. would I want to get into more? The love room <laughs> or this other plane of existence on the other side of life and death? You what know, that's a great brain, question. The brain
0: room. How do you like the brains and the brain? I room? like
1: them a lot, quite a lot, and I think that understanding the brains in a visual manner or at least being able to spit the memories and information out of a brain is pretty damn cool. I want to be able to do that. It makes sense where're like uh conduits for consciousness and information is being able to be stored on it. That's what they're doing with these masks here. It's all connected. I'm telling you and the it where, is. the wherewoods are part of the key and I have a suspicion and a feeling, and I feel like that's really good enough. The suspicion and the feeling coupled with the process that we were shown directly of the face personality um past memory warging ish kind of thing that they're doing here at the house in black and white, I think is enough info to sort of take into the next realm. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, it's like what I was saying in the last episode with these God demons possibly being representations or or spawn in some way, or even just um, really storied descriptions of just an activity of a certain God that now has its own lore um, kind of makes sense because they're all sort of connected by at least wherewood or by the almost same kind of use of that ability right you know right like glass candles for example made of obsidian which is connected on a on a sort of particular or a particulate level of material to um, whatever you would call it, like the old old God magic and um, it does what the warg or the seers are able to do sort mm-hmm. of see over long distances in a way, mm-hmm. or at least that's how we understand it for now. And maybe it can be used in a more efficient manner. Like maybe some people can use it like Aria and that might need help. Or some people can be like Jack and be really flexible with it and, and understand how to do much more with that ability. But like I said, it kind of all seems to be from the same foundation, which leads me to believe more at this point that what we're dealing with are uh, only a few outlets of power, maybe even only the one, almost, maybe even only one, including R'hllor and the Miniface God. And all these humans are outputting their point of view of it, coupled in with how they learned about it, the history of the people that were able to use it to have personal gain. And voila, we have all these tales. But I feel like right now we just got a pretty good dump of information from people that seem to have the most or rather the least amount of ego in their describing of how to use this Mm -hmm. and what it's for and how it comes from and where.
0: It makes me wonder and it makes you wonder how much if they're all tapping into the same sort of energy, how much they're communicating with each other about that or if they don't understand or realize that they're all kind of working with the same thing. But as we were kind of saying at the beginning of the, like at the very beginning of the episode, there obviously is some connection. It's just a matter of teasing out how much they're working together, if at all, how much they know with each other and kind of what that all means For the end game, maybe it's just like a cool, like you said, interconnection of everything all being channeled into the same energy and we're all interfacing with it in a different way based on our experiences. Or maybe this is the thing that's moving the plot along and is somehow connected to what the others are doing and all of that kind of stuff. It's hard to say. And, you know, maybe it's our job to come up with specific answers, but I feel like there's just too many questions to be able to. To talk about something that seems to be this magical when it's a realm that we really haven't – we've been getting a lot of teasing about, but we haven't really seen in action too much other than in these last couple of chapters. So,
1: The closest answer I have in regard to the others is that they they could be being warred in some way because they're – by design of creature – A kind of host organism instead of one that has its own mental capacity or desires it seems like they do and can act based on wanting something but at the same time it seems like there's levels to it absolutely so that kind of sounds like what we've already been talking about Mm -hmm. if it has something to do with possession and and the guiding of a consciousness from afar but I'm going to need more time with them. I'm going to need another chapter that's close and – or close against them, like an intimately needing to understand. Maybe it will be through John's resurrection. We get more hints. But I want to see how close it comes to what we're already familiar with Mm -hmm. and if it is from the same source or if it's from another one.
0: This kind of ties in – the next point I want to make ties into my own. Am I allowed to jump into that or are we a little early?
1: You make the rules.
0: I make the rules. So – um. I want to give my own to when Arya steps out to begin, the day has finally arrived and it's time for her to kill this man. And she said the girl had hoped for fog, but the gods ignored her prayers as gods so often did. And we've had so much focus and talk about as we, everything you're just describing, about the gods, which ones are right and which ones are wrong, the priests that are wielding the power, whether it's the red god, whether it's Victorion's drowned god, whether it's the old gods, or the new, or the werewoods, or all these different kinds of entities, um, how we interface with them, and how, if and how they're connected to the same sort of energy, or they're all kind of at play, intertwined, da 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 da, everything you've just been saying. But I think that Arya, so pointedly saying the gods ignored her prayer, as gods so often did, is such an interesting juxtaposition based off of the conversations that we've been having, which is, the red god has real power here, and so what are we going to do about it? And her experience is so different, whether it's she's praying to the wrong gods or she's praying to the wrong thing or in the wrong way or it's not her – it's not God's will for her to have <laughs> fog. I don't really know. But I just thought that was a cool snippet to highlight as we're talking about what this bigger, greater power might be. So own to that.
1: Right on. My own. valor all men must serve. You know the words, but you are too proud to serve. A servant must be humble and obedient. Aria says, I obey. I can be humbler than anyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's something I would say. <laughs> I feel like.
1: I could be humbler than anyone. Right.
0: That made me laugh out loud.
1: And they're giving I'm her a, a face swap, you know? So, yeah, they're, fun. they're it's fine. She Don't take everything so too seriously.
0: Yeah, that's true. I could be humbler
1: than anyone. You know what? Right. I think it's time to change your face. I think you're you're right there. <laughs> you passed the test. Yeah. That's good. Let's read uh, our own from...
0: I was going to read this own that comes... In, not really read it. That comes in from Instagram. You can read it to see if this own is worth making the podcast. <laughs> I think you should read it.
1: <laughs> no, read not. it. I'll read it.
0: It's not I'll worth read it. making the podcast.
1: From... Livy doll. <laughs> Hannah.
0: <laughs> I put on Instagram right before we recorded to send owns. We got a really great email that you should read that um, really helped shape a you, lot. I of
1: read it. the last one. You should read the email. Oh, I feel like I've been reading so many
0: things. Um,
1: it's from Michael McCann. Thank you, Michael.
0: Thank you, Michael. This I thought you made a really excellent point. Michael says, can I just say, wow, what a chapter, one of my all-time favorites. In this chapter, we uncovered some mysteries behind the faceless men, got to see quote-unquote Aria pull off a very deceptive and amazing poison coin kill, and we saw her being accepted into the House of Black and White finally. The descriptions in this chapter of the House of Black and White were incredible, but what really stood out and made my jaw drop was when we actually were learning how the faceless men changed their face, and this is my own. And I'm going to read this again because it's worth it. Then came a tug and a soft rustling as the new face was pulled down over the old. The leather scraped across her brow, dry and stiff, but as her blood soaked into it, it softened and turned supple. Her cheeks grew warm, flushed. She could feel her heart fluttering beneath her breast, and for one long moment, she could not catch her breath. Hands closed around her throat, hard as stone, choking her. Her own hands shot up to claw at the arms of her attacker, but there was no one there. A terrible sense of fear filled her, and she heard a noise, a hideous crunching noise, accompanied by blinding pain. A face floated in front of her, fat, bearded, brutal, his mouth twisted with rage. She heard the priest say, breathe, child, breathe, breathe out the fear. Shake off the shadows, he is dead, she is dead, her pain is gone, breathe. This is usually the kind of detail that is left ambiguous to the reader and still sort of and still sort of is, with her face feeling the same but looking different. That whole passage before and after that had me hooked. I couldn't stop. Also, can we talk about how George played us thinking Arya has messed up, then taking the man's coins only for it to be a master-level plan to poison her target?
1: We can talk about it. <laughs> we did. Thank you for your email.
0: That was such a great point, Michael. I thought that... I don't need to give an own to Michael's own, but I just thought <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. That's been a thing.
0: I don't remember what I was going to say. But the whole thing about us getting a glimpse into what's actually happening in mm-hmm. the process, I think is something that was very interesting to me. So. I'm
1: glad we walked all the way down those stairs for it. I promised I would read that and I'm gonna. So let's do that. And then we'll close the show out, everyone. The kindly man took the iron lantern off its hook and led her past the still black pool in the rows of dark and silent gods to the steps at the rear of the temple. The way fell in behind them as they were making their descent. No one spoke. The soft scuff of slippered feet on the steps was the only sound. Eighteen steps brought them to the vaults where five arched passageways spread out like fingers of a man's hand. Down here the steps grew narrower and steeper, but the girl had run up and down them a thousand times and they held no terrors for her. Twenty-two more steps and they were at the subcellar. The tunnels here were cramped and crooked, black wormholes twisting through the heart of the great rock. One passage was closed off by a heavy iron door. The priest hung the lantern from a hook, slipped a hand inside his robe and produced an ornate key. Goose prickles rose along her arms and mine. The sanctum, they were going lower still, down to the third level. The secret chambers were the where only the priests were permitted. The key clicked three times very softly as the kindly man turned it in a lock. The door swung open on oiled iron hinges, making not a sound. Beyond were still more steps hewn out of solid rock. The priest took down the lantern once again and led the way. The girl followed in the light. Counting the steps as she went down. Four, six, seven. She found herself wishing she had brought her stick. Ten, eleven, twelve. She knew how many steps there were, steps there were between the temple and the cellar, between the cellar and the sub cellar. She had even counted the steps on the cramped winding stair that spiraled up to the garret and the rungs on the steep wooden ladder that ascended to the rooftop door and the windy perch outside. The stair was unknown to her, however, and that made it perilous. One and twenty-two and twenty-three and twenty. With every step, The air grew a little colder. When her count reached 30, she knew they were under even the canals. Three and 34 and 30. How deep were they going to go? She had reached 54 when the steps finally ended at another iron door. This one was unlocked. The kindly man pushed it open and stepped through. She followed with the way from her heels. Their footsteps echoed through the darkness. The kindly man lifted his lantern and flicked his shutters wide open. Light washed over the walls around them. A thousand faces were gazing down. On her. And skip back to Hannah's description of the rest of it. Of all the scary looking faces. Leather hoods. They cannot hurt me.
0: Beautifully written as always. Unbelievable atmosphere. Pretty good. A really great chapter.
1: I would have added more doors, honestly. <laughs> more <laughs> mysterious doors. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Fair. I like the the five doors, though, that presented themselves like human fingers. It's uh, a great visual. Not not unsatisfying finally getting more uh context on this place not unsatisfying and like i've said a couple times i like the um the bone passageway and i like the other sellers that keep going down and uh i'm okay with not knowing but i really want to know so you're gonna have to get used to that if you listen to this podcast i'm gonna be (laughs) you would already know if you that i don't know the rest of it and i will talk about it because it has made an impact on me and i like it a lot i like when stories give me a reason to be so curious about um, a place within them like what is behind that what is there i like i really like when stories are able to do that and it takes a long time to make something matter that much so cool thanks george
0: if you want to send in your own your favorite quote your favorite feeling, your theories, your thoughts, whatever it might be. You can do that in a number of different ways. You can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram by searching for Game of Owns. Or you can send us an email to contact at gameofowns.com.
1: You can join us on Patreon where we are making bonus podcasts. We have a reread of Ice and Fire and we have a squad of Ice and Fire new episodes all the time if you're craving more podcast content go to patreon.com goo support the show and hit us up hit us up
0: there's some good stuff in there so i would definitely check it out and if you want to follow along with our reading order if you want to get caught up if you want to read ahead you can find that at a feast with dragons.com next week or next time we're going to be reading Cersei 2.
1: It's The Walk.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That is one of my all-time favorite chapters. hmm Heck, yeah. Yep. Cersei 2, tune in next time. That's going to be so fun. We are just chapters away from the end of A Feast of Dragons, so now's the time to get caught up.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody.
0: We'll see you very soon.